brings you zeal? I mean, what fires you up? But you think about it, it just lights your fire. Raylene and I were talking before the service, and I said, you know, if we hold on, because she and I both are beach bums, if we hold on, it's going to be beach weather. She said, it wouldn't bother her one bit if it was 90 degrees tomorrow, and it wouldn't bother me one bit either. What fires you up? Maybe it's your favorite sports team. Maybe it's we were with our little grandson last night. I'm not going to go down that trail because we'll be here for another hour. I'll be talking about Wyatt. He fires me up when I get to be around him. But what brings you zeal and excitement? Your family? Maybe your job? I'm going to tell you, when we get here at 7 o'clock in the morning and I look at young people who rolled out of bed to come 45 minutes to be here at 7 o'clock to help us prepare and put up, because none of this is here before they get here, and to what that fires me up to see the heart that they have for the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's hunting, maybe it's fishing. Uh, for the Apostle Paul, his one driving goal was to bring honor and glory to his Savior. In his book, Practical Religion, the 19th century pastor J.C. Ryle said, this is what it means to be zealous. A zealous man only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he's rich or whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense, whether he's thought wise, whether he's thought foolish, whether he gets the blame or he gets the praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame, for all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns with one thing, and that is the passion to give honor and glory to God. That is a great definition, and the Apostle Paul really epitomized that. He was such a man. And if you're here last week when Pastor Roger preached for us so wonderfully, from Acts chapter 17, we saw this man, Paul, went to a city called Athens to preach to people there that were highly educated. They liked to use multi-syllable words, you know, words that nobody could understand, but there was no power attached to that. There was no Holy Spirit power on that. And he was quite disgusted by their cold, cold religion. They're educated. Hey, Louis Grizzard, who remembers Louis Grizzard, the comedian? You said they've been educated far beyond their intelligence. A lot of people have more degrees than a thermometer, but don't have sense enough to get out of the rain. I think that was some of the people in Athens that he was preaching to. So he just left. He said, I'm done. I'm going to go find a more receptive people somewhere. Silas and Timothy were on their way to join him in Athens, and he didn't even wait on that. So think about all that the Apostle Paul had already been through. As we journeyed verse by verse through the book of Acts, he had already been beaten in Philippi. He was rejected in Thessalonica and in Berea. And then he faced complacency of these pseudo-intellectuals in Athens. And so it's like, what am I going to do now? He must have felt like a football that was refused to be fumbled. He was spiked after every touchdown. And then after that, he's kicked the length of the field. And then you do it all over again. That must be what he felt like. So over the last 10 months, 10 months as we've been striving to get to launch, as we, you know, we flew down the people from a portable church and said, what do we need to do in this community center to make a church? And so they spent 24 hours. We put them up in a motel. They came back with the plans and said, you're going to need $200,000 to make a church out of that building. And so as you know, the economy tanked. It's been the worst economy of, of my lifetime. 
And the Lord has blessed us. Even as we're pushing the boxes in this morning, they still say Rhythm Church on there. And I just thank the Lord all over again for Rhythm Church, a church in Pensacola, Florida. They bought all of this stuff brand new, and then they were gifted a building. They were gifted a building, so we were able to buy their stuff at a greatly discounted price. God has been so good to us. We face setbacks. Our original launch date was September the 11th, and we weren't ready to launch on September the 11th. So we constituted as a church on September the 11th. Then we set another launch date, and that didn't work either. So now we're coming up three weeks from today is our launch. February 26th, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord for that. God's been faithful to us. People are coming from all around. Some of our students' parents are going to be here that day. We have a mission team from our home church, uh, Second Baptist Warner Robins, our sending church. They're our main financial sponsor. They're sending a mission team that day so that all of our ladies can be in here and they'll take care of our children that day. So we've just been through all these things, you know, and I thought I'm going to get a part-time job for a season. And that part-time job means I have racked up debt, personal debt, as we've done this. Now to the point that even if our church exploded and we had a church, I'd still got to keep working to pay off that debt. But yet God's been faithful through all of that, and we believe he's about to show us what, we, what he can do, not what we can do. I want you to think with them this morning on the subject, don't quit when victory is in sight. Don't give up when victory is in sight. So over the last 10 months, we've... we've, we've experienced zeal, we've experienced thanksgiving, we've experienced some discouragement, and so when those pseudo-intellectuals got to him, they must have hurt and discouraged him deeply, because like I said, he got out of town. So in Acts chapter 18, Paul comes to the city of Corinth, one of the most ungodly cities in all of human history. I've never understood why any church wants to name themselves Corinth Baptist Church because Corinth was a wicked place. And so there are many scholar, Bible scholars who refer to this as perhaps Paul's lowest point of his ministry when he went to the city of Corinth. So before we get to Acts 18, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, that's the church plant there in Corinth. And I want us to get a feel for how the Apostle Paul felt as he went to Corinth to plant that church. Remember, he just left the pseudo-intellectuals. He left these people that were so educated, who used all these big words that nobody could understand. So it's no accident that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse 1. Let's stand and give honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Paul says to the church at Corinth, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. He learned from the pseudo-intellectuals. You know, can I, do I want to impress people with my big vocabulary or do I want to communicate God's truth? He said, I wasn't doing that. I, I, I didn't want to use impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. I'd forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And Paul says, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, probably discouraged. He's been beaten. He's been I'm going to have to get that other microphone, okay? I've fought with this thing here long enough, excuse me. This is driving me crazy, and it's a short trip for me. If you know me, it's a short trip to crazy. So I'm going to go ahead and take care of that microphone. So he'd been through all of that, and suddenly he says, I come to you in weakness and in trembling. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you know everything about us. 
Lord, I thank you that you are an on-time God. Lord, your timing is always just right. And Lord, we have sought to be in step with you when we've listened to your voice and we've delayed our launch repeatedly. Lord, as we look forward, we've planned for February the 26th. We believe, we're trusting that you are going to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. So God, may you be honored not only on our launch day, but on this day, Lord Jesus, somebody here today, somebody listening to this on the World Wide Web next week needs to be reminded that it's too soon to quit. We don't need to quit when victory is in sight. So speak to our hearts today. Make us more like Jesus because we were here. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So back to Acts chapter number 18. I think there's some things for us to consider. Number one, I want you to consider Paul's plight. We've already talked a little bit about Paul's plight, some of the things he'd already been through, some of the discouragement. And in Acts 18, verse 1, it says, Then Paul left Athens, and he went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who'd recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. They deported all the Jews. You know, the whole thing we've said of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, and you'll tell people about me everywhere, in East Hall and in Lula and in Gainesville and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so you think, how is that going to happen? There were no jet airplanes. There was no worldwide web. God used wicked rulers who persecuted the Jews and scattered them. And as they were scattered, Pastor Matt said this earlier, what Satan meant for evil, God brought good out of that and we got the spread of the gospel there. I want you to think about Paul's plight. Letter A, failure. He'd experienced failure. Pastor Matt just asked, have you ever felt that way before? Satan reminds us of our past. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 32 that uh, Pastor Roger preached last week, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. They laughed at him. These educated people, they made fun of him. It's not enough he'd already been beaten and thrown in prison, and now they're laughing at him. Nobody wants to be laughed at unless you're a comedian and you get paid to make people laugh, but nobody wants to be laughed at. Have you ever felt like a failure? I'm just telling you I have. I mean, and it's something that from time to time the devil just wants to bring back up. God has been so good to me and my wife. We'll celebrate 35 years of marriage. Can you believe she's put up with me for 35 years coming up this summer? And and so our very first church, I'm in seminary, more zeal than knowledge. And this little church, Old Forest Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia, hires us. I was the seventh youth pastor in six years. That means kids are not trusting this guy because they think I'm going to be out of there in no time. God was faithful. We followed the call of God. When they said, will you pray about it? I said, we'll pray about it, but we're Georgians. We came here to get education and get out of here. And the Holy Spirit of God led us there. In that little church, we grew on Wednesday nights to 100 students in a church that was hardly having 100. We went from one morning service to two morning service to three more. God was so good to us. And then we get to the season where God was opening the door and calling us back to Georgia. And God sent us to Middle Georgia, where Autumn is from. We're at Second Baptist in Warner Robins for 19 years. An already great established church. A pastor, been there for 40-something years. And God used us to grow that student ministry to over 200 students on a Wednesday night. Bigger than the average church in America today. That's how many teenagers we have. And I was happy there. I wanted to die there. Just, Lord, keep me here till you call me home. And then the Lord gave me a specific call. You remember the Apostle Paul got the Macedonian call. And he followed that Macedonian call. 
And as he followed that call, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was thrown in jail, he was laughed and made fun of. God specifically called us to this county, to Hall County, Georgia, beyond any doubt. I spent a season as a traveling evangelist. We're going to churches. They said, hey, we'd like you to be our pastor. We said, nope, God's called us to Gainesville, Georgia. No church in Gainesville, Georgia had called us, okay? I'm just saying, I'm saying no to everything because God called us here. And so then we did get the call to Gainesville, Georgia, uh, to, to a church that just had a, a how should I say this, a troubled history. A church, churches sometimes are known as preacher eaters. You ever heard of that? A church, this church is a preacher eater. That church is a preacher. means they chew them up, spit them out, and they move on. But we knew God called us, so we didn't care. So God called me not to one, but to two churches that had a reputation like that. And I thought, hey, I'm a nice guy, and I love Jesus. God's going to make this work. And it didn't. So I'm t I know what it feels like to feel like a failure. And as Pastor Matt said, when the devil reminds us of our past, and I remember, you know, that season, two different seasons as a traveling evangelist. I spend time in the Word and prayer, and I've got a message God gave me, and I can't wait to preach that message. And I just know, like, I, I saw a, a special guy in my home, I use that term politely, a special young man in my hometown when I was down there recently visiting my stepmother. And he lives down the street from my aunt where I was saying, he said, you preach revival at our church and a hundred people got saved. I said, well, I wish a hundred people got saved, but it was 20-something people. So we've seen God do amazing things. Then I go to the next city and it's like the heavens are dry. There's no response. There's nobody. And I'm thinking, Lord, you've called me to be on the road and preach your word. You gave me this word. You gave me this message. And it's like I'm talking to a brick wall. And the devil says, you should have stayed where you were. You should have stayed in the church you were at. You should have stayed in those successful ministries. But no, when God calls you to do something, we follow the call of God. I felt like a failure when I've said stupid stuff, when I've said or done something I should not do. And the devil says, see, if you was a preacher, you wouldn't act like that. So he has to keep me in check all the time. We all know what it's like to feel like a failure. We are in good company. If the great apostle Paul, one of the greatest evangelists in all of human history, if Paul felt like a failure, he understands. Not only did Paul face failure, let her be, write this down, he faced fatigue. He faced fatigue. You know, some of, the, of our young guys who are preparing for ministry, you'll find this out. You know, I, I do manual physical labor for Nabisco, but there's nothing more exhilarating and nothing more exhausting than preaching the Word of God. You're not just standing up here talking for 35 or 40 minutes. You are literally living through spiritual warfare. The demons of hell do not like what you're saying. They don't want the message to be heard. The microphone's going to drop off your neck. Somebody across the way is going to holler playing basketball. The devil, you're dealing with spiritual warfare. It is exhausting but exhilarating at the same time. Paul knew what it was like. He experienced that exhaustion. And then it says he was a tent maker. He made tents with Priscilla and Aquila to make a living. And so Nabisco, I call that my tent making job. You know, I get up before the chicken get up and I'm out stocking cookies and crackers and I'm just weird. I enjoy it. I think a man's supposed to work, all right? God did not wire me to sit at home. A man's supposed to work, so I, I enjoy the, that labor. But I'm war slam out I'm, because I work Mondays for Nabisco after preaching on Sunday. So Paul understood what it's like. So I, I'm on my hands and knees with cookies and crackers. Then I show up here and I set up the nursery. You know how I do that? I'm on my hands and knees putting things. I'm like, Lord, these knees got to last. I'm an old man, but I need these knees to keep lasting because I need these knees to set up for nursery and to set up for my job. Paul had traveled thousands of miles. 
He'd been discouraged. He'd been made fun of. He knew something about feeling like a failure. He knew something like feeling like fatigue. I told somebody last week, I feel like God's faithfulness has me living on fumes. You know, when the tank's empty and it's on E, but you still get to go. You know, you know I'm going back and forth to be with my sisters and relieve them with my stepmom. You know that our house flooded. I had painters in my house this week. I don't even have a price on the flooring yet. So who knows how long this is going to be. And this week, my stepmother is hanging on. You know, Pastor Roger preached so wonderfully for us last week because I've been told you need to prepare to come back and have a funeral last week. And my stepmother is hanging on. So I'll be back down there this week either for a funeral or to relieve my sister. So, you know, South Georgia is a great place to grow up, right? Some of y'all South Georgia people. But it is not a fun place to drive back to all the time, right? Especially if you try to go through Atlanta. I'm done driving through Atlanta. I go to Athens and go that way now. Paul knew about being exhausted. Paul knew about living on fumes. We, we, I, these young people who drive 45 minutes to set up at 7 o'clock when they've got studies and they've got exams and all this stuff, I know they're tired. But y'all, February 26th, we're reaching, in some ways, it's the finish line. It's the finish line of the launch, but it's really just the beginning. It's really just the beginning because we're trusting God that God's going to honor all of your prayers and all of your financial investments and all of your hard work to bring people to us that don't know Jesus. We're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them and to disciple them. So really it's the finish line for launch, but our work will just be getting started. Paul knew what it was like to be fatigued, but he wasn't about to give up. Paul knew what it was like to be frustrated. He experienced failure. He experienced fatigue. And let her see, he experienced frustration. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 4. <clears throat> Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, remember he didn't wait for them in Athens. He got the heck out of Dodge. Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go preach to the Gentiles. And this Gentile you're looking at right now is very thankful that he did. Because I'm not born a Jew. I'm born a Gentile. I'm so thankful that God used his fatigue, his failure, and his frustration to compel him to go and share the gospel with Gentiles. And then he went to, after being rejected, he went to a city, an ungodly city. Of almost 700,000 people at that time, that's unheard of to be a city that, that large. The heavier the responsibility in ministry, sometimes the greater the frustration can become. There's no doubt Paul felt dejected and defeated in the battlefield of his own heart at times. I have been right where he fell. Many of you feel that same way. Not only have we faced the pressure to raise the money for launch, but you're doing that at home. You know, a dozen, my wife got 18 eggs at Walmart, and it was $7.99. I feel like I'm reading Bible prophecy. When I pay $7 for a loaf of my gluten-free bread, it's like, surely the Lord is coming soon. So prices are going up, but paychecks are not going up. Can I get a witness to that one right there? So it becomes frustrating at times. You may feel the same way. There's school pressures. There's problems at home. There's problems of trying to live a sold-out faithful life for Jesus in a pagan world who hates us, and they hate everything about us. 
My little grandson was coloring a picture of Mickey Mouse last night at my mom's house down in Duluth. And my son said, yep, we're supporting a company, Disney, that hates everything about us. They hate us or they hate everything we stand for as Christians. I'm not going to be spending my money, not even to take little Wyatt there anytime soon. I'm not going to finance people who hate our guts. So sometimes you just want to scream, stop the world. I just want to get off. You know, I just want to go to the beach and feel the sunshine and the ocean breeze where nobody knows my name. Many times I've questioned certain circumstances and things I couldn't understand. Many times in trials, weakness blurs my vision. So my frustration gets so out of hand. But it's then I'm reminded that I've never been forsaken and I've never had to stand one test alone. And I look at all the victories and the Spirit rises up in me and it's through the fire my weakness is made strong. Without the fire, I wouldn't be where I am today. Without the fire, you wouldn't be where you are today. So you may have been in a fire, but I want you to fasten your seatbelt. The best is yet to come. Because yeah, there was fatigue, there was failure, there was frustration. But number two, I want you to consider God's presence. After all that negative, God reminds us of His presence. Look at Acts 18 and verse 7. It says, Then Paul, he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. I read that so boring. Dadgum revival broke out. All these people got saved living next door to the synagogue. He's had failure. He's had fatigue. He's had frustration, but he did not give up. And all these people within sight of the synagogue gave their life to Jesus. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul and became believers and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Share your faith at work. Share your faith in the neighborhood. Share your faith at school. Don't be silent for I, God says, for I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Now Paul was human like me and he's got to go, no, wait a minute. I done been in jail. People have already made fun of me. And now all of a sudden you're telling me it's all okay? You know, God used those fires and those weaknesses to make him the man that he was. And God said, for this season, for this moment in time, these people aren't going to mess with you. For this season in time, you just be faithful. When we are at our most frustrated time, when Pastor Matt felt the way he did Friday morning, for me it was two Saturday nights ago. That's the way I felt. I'm just like, is this even worth it? I'm tired. I'm human. I'm just ready to throw in the towel. You know, you know when, de when the devil fights us that hard, victory is in sight. It's too soon to quit. So as Gentiles, we're thankful for his failures and the fact that he says, hey, I'm with you. They may hate you. They may make fun of you. They may doubt you. I know how he is. He's just like his daddy. His daddy was a drunk. He's going to be a drunk. Oh, she's just like her mama was a long-tongue gossip. That's why she's good. They may say all these things about us, but God says, I'm with you. And you plus Jesus equals a majority. In fact, it's a quartet. Because when God's with you, you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in you. That makes a strong quartet right there. He is with us at all times. He's with sweet Jenna when she goes to have that next chemotherapy treatment. He was with Mary Ann when she became a widow at a very young age and still has to work now because God allowed her to become a widow then. He's with our students who are struggling and saying, am I going to pass? Am I going to get by? He's with you. He's with sweet Raylene as her back is killing her, but she comes in here and puts a smile on her face. I can see in her eyes and know when she's hurting, but she does her best to honor the Lord. He's with you, sweet Raylene. Cagney, when it feels like you've changed 1,125 diapers and it's not even noontime yet, he's with you when you do that.
He's with you, Tabitha, when you're washing those mounds of laundry and uniforms for the East Hall bed. He's with you through that. Lyndon Grayling is with you as you care for your sweet mother. Whatever you're going through, he is with you. And if he is with you, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He's with you as a single mom. He, Desiree is with you as a single mom. He provides all of your needs. He's already promised that. He's with you when you're on the job and you've got a boss who hates your guts. He's with you when you're sitting in the doctor's office and waiting for that diagnosis. He's with my family as we wait and we pray and we, you know, we... And God can do anything. He resurrects the dead. My sweet little niece Jasmine put a picture of my stepmother on her Facebook page last night. Mary would be so upset by that. doesn't even look like her. Somebody saw her picture and said, rest in peace. She literally looks deceased now. We don't understand God's plan. God gave us some sweet days, gave them some sweet days. I wasn't able to go because of my home. Some funny things to laugh at that we'll remember for a long time now. She looked at a picture of my daddy and said, that's my crazy husband, Jimmy. And one of her friends said, she got that one right. My daddy was a, a joker. So God said, we don't know why she's hanging on. We don't know why she's hanging on, but we know God's in control. And he's with us through that. He's with you when you're washing dishes. He's with you when you're cutting the grass. He's with you in your failures of the valleys. And he's with us on the mountaintops. He's with us in our sorrows. And he says in the 23rd Psalm, even though you'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. My stepmother Mary knows where she is going. She's not worried about where she's going, but it's this painful journey of getting there. Victory is in sight, Transformation Church, and God is with us. In Matthew 28, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We cannot quit because the finish line is in sight. We thank God for his presence. And number three, we thank God for his protection. We thank God for his protection. For I'm with you and no one will attack and harm you is what he said to Paul, even though he'd suffered terribly already. You know, Stetson Bennett, you know, national championship two years in a row, little dude about my height apparently. And he, no doubt the dude's an incredible athlete. We pray for him because when you live in the public spotlight, can you imagine that? He made some bad choices last weekend and that's magnified all over the news. And the Holy Spirit of God said, Mike, that should have been you. Only God's grace. I was never arrested because I should have been arrested. So I pray for Stetson Bennett. But you know, one of the things that made him so successful as a quarterback, yes, he's a talented, but it's that offensive line. He had an incredible offensive line to protect him. I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, child of God, you've got an incredible angelic offensive line protecting you. You've got Gabriel. You've got Michael. When you're in that valley, when you need it just the most, God sends his angels and gives them charge over you. Nothing can touch us when we're on God's team unless they come first through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Paul still got scars on his back from being beaten. He knows what it's like to fail and be made fun of. And God says, I'm with you and I'm going to protect you. Don't worry about the past. When Satan reminds you of your past, let's remind him of his future. His future is sealed in Revelation. He'll be damned to hell forever and forever. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 11, Paul wrote to young Timothy, one of his preacher boys, you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord. 
Don't you love those but the Lord phrases in Scripture? But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Romans chapter 8, if I could only have one book of the Bible for Mike, it's Romans. If I could only have one chapter, it's Romans chapter 8. And in Romans 8, 31, he says, if God is for you, who can be against you? So when people in the community laugh at us and they mock us and they say, they don't need to be another church in this community, we've got plenty. We know we're doing what God's called us to do and God is with us and what he's called you to do, he will equip you to do. What he's called you to do, he will provide for you to do. Where God guides, he provides. We've seen that over and over and over again. Here we are, down to the last minute of launch, and we still need to buy signs and security barriers for our children. And I get a phone call from a church that indicated to Pastor Matt and I, how many months, in the very beginning, like way back in February, March, we met with this pastor, we're going to help y'all, we're going to help y'all. And it never happened. And the pastor said, hey, if I forget, you keep messaging me. And I, I feel like a pest. I'm like, hey, you told me to, and nothing is happening. God knew we could have used the money then, but God knew now was the perfect time. God had us trust him. Are we going to be able to do launch? Are we going to have the money? So we get a $9,000 grant, and he says, Mike, I want you to make that a matching grant. So dollar for dollar up to $2,000, that up to, up to $9,000 is doubled. So everybody who's given a gift this week, my response is, you gave $5, God gave us $10. One pastor gave us $250, I said, God gave us $500. So you pray with us that we reach that extra $9,000 goal to do some things like buy a microphone that actually works and will stay on somebody's head when we preach. That's on our wish list of things that we need. We keep on keeping on because the finish line is in sight. Regardless of your fatigue, your failure, your frustration, you've got God's presence, you've got God's provision, and God says, let me give you one other reminder, and that's God's people. Number four, write that down. Consider God's people. Corinth, an ungodly city, there was a thousand temple prostitutes roaming the streets every night. Homosexuality was rampant. Crime was rampant. But God said in verse, chapter 18, verse 10, for many people in this city belong to me. Many people in the city belong to me. One of the most ungodly cities in all of human history. The pseudo-intellectuals of Athens had kicked him out and run him off. They made fun of him. He experienced culture shock in Athens. But when he got to Corinth, he experienced moral shock. Just the lack of any kind of values and morality. It sounds a whole lot like the world that we live in in America today. You look at the city of Corinth and go, that ain't a good place to plant a church. And God says, that's a great place. I got many people in Corinth who need to hear about me. They're perfect candidates for salvation. God looked beyond their fault and he saw their need. God looked beyond their sin and their shame and their rebellion. And God said, I see spiritual giants upon these people. Because listen, I thank God for people like my wife have the testimony that she does. She was raised in a godly home in one of the greatest churches in America, First Baptist Jacksonville. She gave her life to Jesus at an early age. She's never touched a drop of alcohol or a cigarette and you're looking at the only dude she's ever kissed. I wish I had a testimony like my wife, but all of us don't have a testimony like that. But regardless of your past and your testimony, God proved in the city of Corinth that when you've got a hung, they tried everything else. They tried prostitution, some have tried homosexuality, they tried all these different things, but there was still a God-sized hole in their heart. A hole in their heart that nothing would fit except holy God. So when we look at the East Hall community, and we see people that may be inebriated. And the Holy Spirit says, that used to be you, Mike. When you see people that are talking so filthy and it offends us as believers, and the Holy Spirit says, you used to talk just like that, Mike. 
When we see this East Hall community where God specifically called us to be, I believe God says, I've got a lot of people there. I know, why else would he call us here? Why else would he tell us to raise all this money to plant a new church here? God looks out and he sees there's a people here who are ready to receive the gospel. It's too soon for us to quit because there's Mike Duras out there. There's people just like you out there who need the gospel. And we say East Hall, but I mean, y'all drive from Cornelia, right? You drive from Clarksville. We have a family coming from Dawsonville, some. So we say East Hall, but people are coming from all around. When God is at work, when the Holy Spirit is set ablaze, people will come to see what's on fire and what the difference is. When we break this holy huddle on Sunday mornings and we go out and infect this community with the joy of the Lord and let them see the difference in us, they're going to want to come and see what's going on here. Jesus is telling us he's got many people right here in this community who need him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. I love this passage. The Holy Spirit brings it to my mind so many times. It says, don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge or continue. If you've ever committed any of these sins, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. But those who don't repent and continue in sin, those are the ones. He says, those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But I love verse 11. I think King James translates it this way. And such were some of you. Probably any sin you can think of, God's going to put that person in Transformation Church. So when he sends somebody else with that background, we'll be able to love them and welcome them where they are. This translation says some of you were once like, were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. I ain't everything I ought to be yet, but thank God I'm not what I used to be because he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. And he's going to keep working on me until I get to heaven. I won't be perfect until I get to heaven. So he says, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You're made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So as fatigued as you may be, as frustrated as you may be. Uh, somebody recently said to one of, our, one of our dear ladies, why do you go to that church? They ain't got nobody going to that church. And it was the Sunday after Roger preached the first time. We had, you know, we thought 100 people. It was really more like 80 once we got an accurate count. She said, well, we got that many people. And the lady said, we didn't have that many in our church last week. So, you know, you, you throw a stone, you dig a pitch, you might fall in it. God, listen, where two or more are gathered, he's in their midst. We have such, I would rather have the sweet fellowship that we have in this church than to be a church of 10,000 people. Uh, Dr. Cantor says it this way at Truett McConnell, I'd rather have a hundred warriors for Jesus than a thousand wimps any day. God's doing something special and different here and if we walk out of here this morning and realize that he's with us, if we realize there are people in this community that were in that list of sins and the Spirit of God says such were some of you and if he can transform a nobody jerk head like me, he can transform anybody. So what was Paul's response? Fatigue, frustration. God says, I'm with you. God says, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Paul's response, Acts chapter 18, verse 11. Wicked city, 700,000 people. A thousand prostitutes roaming the streets every night. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the Word of God. That meant there was an appetite for the Word of God. If there wasn't an appetite, there'd be nobody for him to teach the Word of God to. So no matter how fatigued and frustrated we are, the victory is in sight. The finish line is in sight. Winners don't quit and quitters don't win. I want to be a winner for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I know you do too, or you would not be here. So what's our response to this today? 
Well, first of all, are you absolutely certain of your own relationship with the Lord? I don't ever take anything for granted. I've seen too many times deacons get saved, staff members get saved, pastors' wives get saved. So the most important thing we do is share the gospel. It's not what a nice guy I am or what great people we have. It is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. That word transformation for transformation church, transformation is a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Transformation doesn't happen by being a nice guy. Transformation doesn't happen by building a house for Habitat for Humanity, although there's nothing wrong with that. Transformation doesn't happen just because you dip soup at the homeless shelter, although that's a good thing to do. Transformation comes by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, that's the same word translated dynamite in the Greek language, it is the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes. So our mission here, Transformation Church, is to reach the whoever's out there today to know that Jesus died for them the same way he died for us. And he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, it's one thing to just say it with your mouth, but believe in your heart, change the way you live your life. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You too can be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? He gave his only begotten son. Pastor Matt talked about his only son earlier. Pastor Matt loves us. He demonstrates that by all the things that he does to serve the Lord and to minister to us. But can I tell you, he don't love us like he loves Canon. That's his only begotten son. But God loved us so much, he gave his only begotten son to die for somebody like me that's going to still mess up, that'll still shame him, that'll still say and do stupid stuff sometimes. But Jesus hung on that cross knowing I would still disappoint him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish. You don't have to die and go to hell, but you too can have everlasting life. Maybe you know Christ is the Lord of your life, but that frustration and the fatigue and failure has gotten into your head and you're not effectively serving King Jesus the way that you ought to. I'm so glad God allows you turns. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins. I'm so fascinated by all of the Bible, okay? But words mean things. Does God know everything I do? Does God know I'm going to do something stupid even before I do it? But yet, he says, if we confess our sins, it's not like I'm telling him something he don't know. The purpose of confession is to humble me and for me to admit where I've messed up. If we confess our sins as believers, as those who've been blood-bought, born-again children of God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I love that word all. It's all-encompassing. Say, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know what you've done. Jesus knows anyway. He knew when he hung on the cross for you. No matter what you've done, if you're a child of God and you've kind of, we call it backslidden in church circles. You're not living like you ought to. You can repent today and ask him to restore to you. King David had to do that. King David didn't have to get saved again, but after his sin with Bathsheba, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. There's no joy when we're running from God as a child of God, but there's beautiful joy in repentance and in restoration. If you need someone to talk to you about salvation today or to pray with you about that, we'd love to do that in just a few moments when Pastor Matt comes and leads us in a time of worship. If you notice on your brand new Connect cards that Miss Jenny just designed for us, maybe you don't feel comfortable coming publicly and talking to one of us today, check one of those boxes. Today I made the decision to be a member of Transformation Church. 
You say, I've been coming here. It's time for me to plant my roots and become a member. We'll call you. We'll talk to you about that. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time, you can check that box. If you got some more questions about being a believer, check that box. If you say, Pastor, I know I've been saved, but I've never been scripturally baptized, you check that box. and You can drop it at the end of the, the service. Our young people will be there to receive those. Or come and talk to one of us right now in just a few moments. We'd love to talk with you and to pray with you. Maybe you have such a personal burden on your heart. It was difficult for you to listen to anything I had to say today because the burden on your heart is so deep and it's so heavy. That's all the devil keeps pointing out to you. And maybe you didn't hear a word I said today, but I want you to hear this. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He understands. He is well acquainted with our griefs and sorrows. So even if you didn't hear anything I said or you didn't understand anything I said, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. I'm so excited about what God's doing in our future and it's way too soon to quit with victory in sight. Pray with me, church. Father, I, I think of that old hymn that says, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Lord, why should my heart ever feel lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus, your only son, is my portion, my constant friend is he. Lord, because you say your eye is on the sparrow, I know you're watching over me. So Lord, help us to sing because we're happy. Help us to sing because we're free. Help us to sing because your eye is on the sparrow and I know you're watching over us. Thank you for the promise of your presence. Thank you for the promise of your provision. Thank you for the promise of salvation to whoever will call upon your name. So Lord, during this time of invitation, if somebody needs to be saved, Lord, give them the boldness to step out today. If those who just need to bring some heavy burdens to the Lord, they don't feel compelled to talk to anybody else, help them to come to this altar and pray privately if that's what they need to do and leave that burden here with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are more than enough. Forgive us when we look at our circumstances and we act like you're not enough. You're more than enough. We honor you today. Help us do that not only with our lips, but with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.